0: Welcome to the Financial Planners South Africa Podcast, a show dedicated to driving the positive evolution of financial advice, specifically in South Africa. To join a global community of financial advisors, sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice, head to xyadvisor.com. Portfolio Metrics is thrilled to bring you this podcast in support of our common passion, people and the evolution of wealth management. A global business links precision investment management to expert financial advice through partnerships and technology. Portfolio metrics is an authorized financial services provider. Asset map is a proud sponsor of this podcast. Are you looking for the next big thing in advisor technology? Asset map is used by thousands of financial advisors to help create more meaningful conversations with clients. See for yourself how Map is leading the next phase of financial advice delivery. Learn more at asset-map.com forward slash Louis for special listener's discount. This episode is proudly brought to you by Alan Gray. They say it's important to live for today. Although that might be true, we can't forget to plan for tomorrow. There's a lot of it left after all. Alan Gray is an authorized financial services provider. Visit www.alangray.co.za to learn how we build long-term wealth for clients. Welcome to another episode of Financial Planners South Africa. Today, I have in the studio with me Kubis Kuhn. Kubis is a certified financial planner, the founder of North Financial Services, and a YouTube celebrity running the (laughs) Slice of Finance YouTube channel, which we'll delve into just in a little bit. Kubis, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Louis, thank you so much for having me. I'm uh, really excited to be part of this show.
0: It's a very exciting time when you leave your secure job to start your own financial planning practice. And if I understand it correct, you've been a financial planner for the last 11 years. And so before we get into building a business, give us a little bit of a background of, of how you got into this profession we call financial planning.
1: Sure. Uh, Louis, I think um, back in the days, my, my father used to be a financial planner um, at Sunlam, like in 1990s. And, um, I think it was always in my blood. So I, I think I, when I started off, um, in, uh, in the grown up world, <laughs> I, I always wanted to be part of uh, a business, be a businessman. And I had really a passion for finance and I, I started out as a, a car salesman, which didn't turn out pretty well. <laughs> um, no, I wasn't the best salesman there. But then I, uh, I got the opportunity to start at uh, at the previous company where I worked at, and um, yeah, it, did, it all went well from there. It was um, I started off by doing medical aids at the previous company, so I wasn't really uh, didn't have much exposure in terms of financial services. It's just one part of the business. But I loved it. Um, it was really something I, I, it, I felt comfortable with. It felt it fell home to me. So,
0: I want to talk a little bit about the medical aid part. You, know, you mentioned now that you started off in this practice. Um, and you can tell us a bit of what that looked like. But oftentimes, financial planners steer away from medical aid. How did you yeah. manage to put that part of someone's financial planning picture? And, and why do you think that was so successful? I
1: think like medical aids are, is one of those hidden gems. Um, it's something no one wants to do because, I mean, to be honest with you, if you, if you, if you do add that service as a financial planner, it's not something you're really rewarded in terms of financially. The, um, the fees are very limited. But what it did, did do for me is it opened up so many opportunities. It is something that, I mean, everyone needs at the end of the day. And, to be honest with you, I think most of my biggest clients came from medical aids. So it, it was just a, such a wonderful door opener uh, when you sit down with a client. I mean, when you go through a medical aid, there's such different various aspects you look at. and it, It's a conversation starter. If you talk about the critical illness side, um, oncology, cancer, you dig into a bit where does your critical illness, where do you have that in place? And and the nice thing about that is you work with the whole family. So you work with the husband, the wife, uh, the kids. It's it, you automatically form part of the family um, in that sense. So it it was a wonderful uh, opportunity for me to start off with that. Um, I think that's I think that's kind of where the basics why I, why I learned about financial planning in terms of. And when you do a needs analysis because you really have to find out what it is the client needs I know it sounds simple, but at, at the at the end of the day it's you have to find a solution for a problem um, and there's a couple of different options you have to look at when you sit down with the client but it it is something it, it's always something very expensive no one wants to when wants to pay for it but they want maximum benefits so it really taught me a bit a lot about financial planning in terms of the the analysis what you do with the client uh, in in a very limited sense but I think that was the the foundation for me yeah.
0: Kupas those those early days where you might have seen your first couple of clients and talk about their their medical aid um, what stands out for you from those first discussions was it was it very easy for you to start getting into it? (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh, geez! I remember I sat down uh, in my um, in my parents' um, uh, lounge, and I, I studied all the brochures um, of the various companies. So I think, yeah, it was it was something. You know, when you start out with something new, it's it's always a challenge. It's always you're always scared that you might not say something that you had to say to the client. Something, especially like in, in medical aids. You might not know that there's certain limitations or co-payments. If you miss something, they'll hold you accountable. So I think, I mean, I I started out with uh, friends and family, I think, like most people do. So, yeah, I think I did my research pretty well when I started out. Geez, I I really went through those brochures. (laughs) I'm
0: I'm wondering, I mean, do we always need to know everything or is it just you need to be a little bit more informed than the client so that you can guide them
1: yeah i think i mean if you start off I, I think that's the the thing when you start out out with these type of things you'll get a question from a client and you don't have a clue what it is um so that's how you learn the more mistakes i made the more i learned
0: it's such a great place and you know we have a similar story also starting out uh, looking at medical aid and what i found is that mm. you almost become branded, hey, this is the discovery guy or this is the guy exactly. that knows about medical <laughs> exactly. aid.
1: Exactly. How,
0: how did you bring that kind of branding part into it that, you know, it's not just, we don't only look at medical aid or was it okay Jeez. to be a medical aid specialist? It, it's it's
1: difficult because that thing sticks, eh? <laughs> I, mm. I mean, until mm. today, I have clients phoning me and they want medical aid specifically. Um, it's really something especially in a in a smaller town as in in Kimberley it's something that um no one really did yet so i really became well known for the person that you come to when you do a medical want want to get a medical aid so it was that was i think one of the most challenging things when i when i started out doing just not just medical aids but a little bit more looking at investments looking at uh, uh doing a holistic financial analysis for a client um so that was kind of a mind shift. <laughs> um it was it was a difficult thing, yeah.
0: <laughs> Kubis, at what point did the YouTube channel come about and what was the catalyst for that?
1: I think uh, a couple of years ago, um I just realized that there's no one really doing um any any education on finance on YouTube, um, and I just realized, look, this is where I spend a lot of my time, and I might as well try uh, try try my best and see if I can do it as well, and and put my own spin on it. Um, so there wasn't really many people doing it back then, and that's when I thought, look, I'd rather get in um, one of the first doing it than uh, later.
0: <laughs> This kind of concept of the almost the first mover advantage, just uh, exactly breaking down the yeah. barriers and and start moving. Why do you think yeah. other people hesitate to do that, specifically when it comes to video?
1: I think it's a challenge. I mean, geez, uh, when I when I started doing the videos, I, I I can't tell you how many times. I mean, if you look at my first couple of videos, it, it's um, it's very rushed. So you learn a lot by doing it. I think. I don't think many people, um, they're a bit camera shy because it's difficult. If you sit down through, uh, in front of that camera, it's just a different feeling. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's, uh, I, I think it's not, I don't think everyone, um, enjoys doing it and you know what, it takes a lot of time writing content. Um, so it, it's one thing, um, Writing the content, it's another thing. Filming it, and then it's another thing. Sticking it together, um, so it's it's a lot of work. I think it's uh, it might be more work than you know. What I think people start with it and they realize it's a lot of work, and then they just stop. Um, but it is it's daunting if you start off sitting in front of a camera, <laughs> and yeah, and I don't, I don't think a lot of people. No, they can do it. I think they need, they think they need all the professional equipment. You know, I mean, today we sit with smartphones that's ridiculously um, capable of whatever you want to do. So you don't actually need professional equipment. And I think that's, that's what, what keeps a lot of people from doing it. They say, look, I need this camera. I need this. I need this before I can start. I mean, I was guilty of it myself. I, I um I said look I need this before I can do that and that's nonsense start off with what you have um rather do something which isn't necessarily perfect but just start so that's that's why I started
0: <laughs> and then how did you keep going you know what what fueled you to carry on doing this
1: um I I wanted to build up consistency um and um that, one, that was one thing that I found pretty difficult, especially I wanted to do a video a week. Um, but that became pretty difficult, especially if you want um, a certain level of content you want to deliver. It takes a lot of time to write that content. Um, but it was, it was something I didn't want to stop. Um, I, I got the momentum. I got people talking. And I think... If I just would have stopped, then it, I just would have lost the momentum. Now, so uh, I did a lot of groundwork and a lot of research. So I, I just couldn't stop. I mean, with the time I spend doing, learning about how you edit videos, and you know it would have been a waste. <laughs> so
0: almost too too deep into back out now. Absolutely, yeah.
1: Ach, you know, and I think at the end of the day, um, later on. I think later on it became a bit bit fun as well and I think that's when a lot of people also talked a lot um uh, during lockdown for example I um introduced a character because I needed a, I needed to sit down and discuss something with with someone and you know y- you can't speak with anyone in lockdown and I I, I just wanted a, a guest <laughs> so so I created a character called Gert um which is a um well, it's just a piece of carton, just a box. Um, I cut out a uh, heart, um, and I made a couple of expressions, and I had a conversation with him. We had laughs. I I taught him a, a bit about finance. Uh, we had fun. He's, he's a good friend of mine, and we we don't always get along together, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's fun. <laughs>
0: One of your videos had Khart in a serious accident. Um, and <laughs> I'm curious, where's where Khart now? Has he recovered? Yeah, give me a second. Oh. <laughs> For those of you that can't see, Khart is joining our conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. You will never be lonely again, <laughs> Um I
1: think, you know what? was was a was a nice introduction to to the channel um in the sense of it was some someone that everyone can relate to i mean a lot of people they know nothing about finance, but they're interested they 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 want to know but they're too afraid to ask they They feel they might might look stupid in front of their friends for asking. And this is what was a nice thing. It was someone that's relatable. It's someone that's clueless about finance, but wants to get his things together. Yeah, so with regards to the the accident that Gert had, um, that was something, I always liked the idea of guerrilla marketing, um, because you don't always have the funds to push into marketing uh, or a massive marketing campaign. So you have to use what uh, what's been given to you. So if you can be creative, it's a wonderful tool. I mean, back then um, I got the newspapers involved. I got the um, the medical services involved. It was I made a big thing about it. So and it made the papers. Um, it was it was crazy because I. Uh, we did it in front of my previous office, and that was on one of the main streets in Kimberley. <laughs> I mean, people drove by. They, they, you know, how curious people are when it comes to an accident. <laughs> it worked wonders. So, <laughs> yeah. So that's that was one of my public stunts, I guess, um, and one way to introduce Hart to a lot more a lot more people. Oh.
0: it's not often that you know financial services or anything financial planning goes viral so when you make the newspaper and people actually say hey this is interesting i want to know a little bit more i want to know where does this gift come from to break down complex things to simplify it and to help people you know where does that come about um, I
1: think I've got very critical friends. So, <laughs> so when I, I explain a certain topic, I've got this one friend, he'll always tell me, could be the, no, this is too, uh, this is too difficult. I, no, people won't understand this. So I have to break it down even further and further. Uh, my dad used to say when you, when you explain something, you have to explain it to someone like he's a five year old. So, um, and, and I think f- finance, specifically, it can be a pretty morbid topic, and it can be a, a there's a lot of jargon. <laughs> it's over the top. It can be too much. Um, so I think when it comes to finance, I I really wanted to simplify it to the base, to the to the to the fundamentals, and um, yeah, hopefully I I did something right. <laughs>
0: Absolutely and you've made it even a little bit more approachable and a little bit more fun uh, there is something to be said for someone to say hey oh, i want to, I want to know a little bit more here this this sounds interesting to me, um not just scaring me into yeah. buying something
1: yeah, I mean specifically when you do well specifically YouTube videos, you've got to grab the attention uh, I think the stats show that you've got to grab the attention in seven seconds if you don't, you lose them so you have to do something really. Out of the ordinary, different, um, and something that grabs your attention. So that was the idea um, when I introduced chat, and and I think I guess with uh, with all all the other videos as well, I I try to add a little bit of fun to it because you know I mean finance can be boring. Um, so who wants to look at a finance video unless you make it exciting? So that's why I always try to add a little bit of humor in it. It's just my personality. I love laughing. And I want to introduce that to my videos as well. I want it to be approachable, fun, exciting, and easy to understand.
0: So now you've built up a bit of a following. You have this channel. It's some, of, some of it's gone viral. Is this attracting the right clients to your practice? Or was that not your ultimate aim uh, by doing this?
1: So, um, when I started out, I think the, the aim kind of slightly um, changed over time. So, uh, when in the, in the beginning, I started out and it was pretty general uh, basics of finance uh, to everyone. But um, as time went on, I, I um, wanted to make it a bit more specific. But in terms of um, uh, approaching the right audience, it certainly got the right audience but it it also you also have a lot because my youtube is some uh, my uh, whatsapp sometimes just flooded with a, a lot of people asking they want to to invest they want to buy shares and um it's not something i specifically do is is buy and sell shares for for clients but i made a video about about it uh, one of my best uh, top videos is one about why just how do you buy shares or how to um, talk about a bit about explaining the concept of shares. And that's something a lot of people, I guess, Googled and um, that video came up quite often. So that's not, that's something that um, that's you don't necessarily what you, you don't necessarily get the right people. So I think when it comes to YouTube videos and uh, that's something I've learned over time, you've got a niche down um if you are a generalist you will definitely get a lot of a lot of people asking you and it floods you i mean and, and the, the unfortunate thing is if i'm um, if you're on a youtube on such a platform if you don't respond to those type of people it's it's uh, it leaves a bad taste in their mouth it looks bad on youtube um you get you don't rank as well so it's something you have to do and that can keep you busy so rather niche down um in niche down to the bare bone. I mean, go to where not a lot of people are and then you'll get the right people. Um, uh, that's You'll get the right people you want to to attract. Um, so that's something I I actually learned over time. Um, unfortunately, fortunately and unfortunately, there's a video that got a lot of views um, <laughs> and it's keeping busy. <laughs> so
0: <laughs> This concept of, excluding some people and only working with a certain group it can be daunting for financial planners because you're almost actively saying hey mr or mrs clients i'm not going to work with you if you're not the the right fit how do you go about defining who it is that you really want to work with
1: i think it's um it's someone that i i really um i can relate to and someone that i can have a A long conversation with, and we understand each other. So, um, so my, for example, my my target market or or clients that I feel I can add the most value to, as business owners, Um, I feel it's something I am passionate about myself. It's something I, um, on a continual basis, constantly research about ideas how you can save tax strategies. and, and it's relatable. So the, the clients I sit down with, um, we can talk for ages. So it's not necessarily that I can't service uh, a client, uh, another client. Um, it's just I think my service is best valued for a business owner specifically. And, and I mean, that changes for, for someone else. Someone else can relate to uh, a different different sector or different, different part.
0: Kubis, how do you package your financial planning offering and the services you bring to the table to these business owners? What makes it so attractive for them to work with you? I think um,
1: so I, f- I, I spent a couple of years creating or developing a process which is called my compass strategy. Um, and it's a, it's a unique – well, I, I like to think of it of a, as a unique strategy. So the idea of the compass is, I mean, if you want to sail around the world – you kind of have to plan your journey. Um, you have to be prepared for storms, and you have to be prepared if if life takes a detour. And that the same is true with our finances as well. So within my process, I look at a couple of different aspects. Uh, we look at the individual, then we look at the family, then we look at the assets, and and then we look at at building the future. And um, at, and they all integrate very very well with each other. Um, Specifically, when we talk about build, protecting your assets, that's where the business comes in. We look. I mean, I found that there's there's a massive need for business owners um, when looking looking at contingency planning. Um, I think it's something that's very over uh, often overlooked, um, and I think there's quite a lot of underused tools that's available that not a lot of planners use. So with, with my process, when I sit down with a client, I um, beforehand, I'll send them a, um, a, a list of questions. It's 12 questions. And it's, uh, it's a little bit of a behavioral analysis. It gives me an idea. Is it someone that's, you know, get to the point uh, or someone that's analytical? So that way, I have a better idea in terms of how I can approach this client, how I should deal with this client, how they would like the information to be presented. And then I'll start with a with a process uh, previously mentioned, which then opens up the, the door through the conversations I have with the client to either go into a lot more depth, either by doing an estate plan for them as an individual or looking at the, the business structures, um, yeah, so that's basically the 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 big the process I follow when I sit down with a client. I I try to offer a holistic process. I want to be part of the client's um, business in a certain sense. If they want to buy a new property or they've got a new business idea, I mean, I'd love if I can be part of that. Uh, if they can give me a call and say, Quibus, you know what you what, what do you think about this? How does that fall form part of my, my plan?" Um it's not always the easiest clients I think to work with, but certainly uh the ones I i relate most with.
0: I attended a webinar last week where the presenter spoke about financial partners, not just financial planners. And uh, in your yeah, context, absolutely. you can almost become a partner in that in that business, mm. guiding them through mm. the ups and downs of the whatever yeah. they might have to weather. Tell me a bit more about those twelve questions. I mean in the industry, we often hear about someone wanting to do a personality assessment, but it's usually, Mr. Client, here's the link, here's 50 questions, and you have to spend two hours answering it. Um, it sounds quite digestible, sending someone a short amount of clients, but giving you valuable information. What information do you derive from that? Does that include financial information or was it really around the decision making
1: yeah so this is a this is a analysis uh, it was it um created by mitch anthony i believe and um, it, uh, it's 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 specifically it was specifically introduced to gather more information specifically with regards to finances um, so, I mean, it's 12 questions. It's not going to give you a hundred percent correct answer, but it does give you a, an indication in terms of where the client's um, leaning towards. Um, so it's, I wanted something that is quick. Um, I mean, if you, I mean, you'd know yourself, clients, they don't want to spend time completing another questionnaire. I mean, we sit, we've we got so many questionnaires already. So. Uh, I just wanted something. I just wanted something quick for them to complete um, and give me the, the the most crucial information from that. So it specifically looks at finances. Um, if it's someone that's uh, um, someone that's analytical, someone that's um, get to that uh, to the point. Um, and that helps, uh, again, if you do a risk analysis in terms of investing. So it all ties in pretty well with um, with the whole process holistically.
0: Kourbis, you mentioned that clients are often scarce of time. And I think specifically for business owners, it's often difficult for them to prioritize and make financial planning a priority. How have you managed to figure that out? Uh, or <laughs> have you not yet?
1: <laughs> um, I, I guess in a, in a sense yes and again uh, and, and then no um, I mean if if you can add the value to a client um, and they, they believe in you then they'll make time for you so you and I think it's important always also to remember I mean you can have a big client um, and it's not necessarily that it's a good fit for you um, so that's something I always it's not something. I, it's something I also struggle with, because um, always if there's a big client, you'd like to attract a big client, but it's not to say that that client's going to be a good fit. You're going to struggle with that client. You not they're not going to allow you the opportunity. It's going to frustrate you. You're not going to be able to deliver the service that you'd like to deliver to the client. And at the end of the day, it's, it's just not a. That's just a losing battle. So um, it's something I have to look at. Um in my own practice myself, I've got to be more strict when it comes to that. Because you when you find a big client, it's it's um it's difficult saying no. Um but it's not it's all it's sometimes it's the right thing to say.
0: And inherently as financial planners, we want to help people, right? And saying no to yeah. this client means that we're not <laughs> we're not able or willing to to help yeah. them. In the early days of starting your business, you know how have you how have you kept the focus on the important things? Like you mentioned now, saying no to clients that's not a good fit. Uh, what's been very helpful to someone? You know, maybe listening to this, starting of thinking their own business or a couple of years. And um, yeah, share a little bit of that, us.
1: I think do what you're passionate about. Um, so do where where you feel you can add most most value. Um, I think that's what I what I tried. Um, I, I looked at my process, I looked at what I love doing um, and that kind of just naturally happened. Um, I tried to simplify things for myself, I always love integration, love technology. Um, so I, I always try to make that part of my business, um, yeah, I guess, yeah, just simplify simplify the whole business process if if that answers the question Could you,
0: you have a bit of a team around you as well uh, tell us about the the delegation and how you determined who's who does what
1: yeah yeah the team is a very important one that's something I um, uh, I've I've got a PA that's uh, she's really my right hand we've come a long way um, I think if if she would have to find another alternative employer i I would really struggle um the thing is if you find the right people in the right positions it makes life so much easier um i uh, i mean most of my clients they even have a relationship with with my pa they they don't even bother me with certain things they phone her um i I mean it's it's so wonderful for example i yeah, just the other day, a client um, sent me a message. She wanted a, my PA's uh, Liesel's address because she wanted to send her something just to say thank you. And I thought, geez, you're not going to send me something." <laughs> so, so I, um, if you find the right people, um, you can you can go a long way. Now, now Liesel started off with me in in Kimberley, and her husband he he got an opportunity back in his hometown. And they backed up and moved there, and I just I was just lost without her. So I told her, look, if you could, you still work for me, even if it's distant, distant, um, distant working, and it's it was something new. We, but it it was just so natural. We've I think we with the time we've spent uh, together, we've really learned a lot how to how to treat each other and understand each other. I recently added um, two two additional uh, employees to the practice. One is a para planner, um, and the the other one is just going to assist with a, the short term section of the business. Um, so, but they're all working um, from home. No one uh, no one's working in my office actually. So, <laughs> which is something I think many people find strange. I don't have anyone working in Kimberley. <laughs> so.
0: It's amazing that now it is possible to start a business from scratch where, you know, people are not sitting in in the same office. What do you think we lose when we're not in the same, you know, same office as a team?
1: Yeah, um, I I do think you, there could be a bit of communication challenges. Um, I think that's something I try to iron out, but it's not something you'll be able to iron out completely. Um, if someone's in your office, it's very easy to to discuss something with him. Yeah, I think it's and and you also lose that human touch, uh, and you've and that's something I have to I have to be very attentive because um, sometimes I'll wake up, I'll either SMS Liesl or give her a call, and I'll just start off where I picked off yesterday. It's like the day never ended, so it's important to never use that it never lose that human touch. Uh, I I think that's important because that, that's still part of the relationship and it might feel that, um, I think that there could be a bit of a lacking at uh, times.
0: When you say human touch, Kubis, what do you mean by that?
1: Uh, It's just, uh, i mean just the familiarity i mean if uh, if we just picked off where we left yesterday we we don't we're not necessarily so involved not that I, that you have to be involved in your your uh, employees lives but it's it, it it is something i guess that's important for me i don't i don't want to be just a just a, like a slave trade. i, I want to uh, offer something where people want to work they want to work with me they want to be part of something um and I just don't want to lose that I guess that familiarity.
0: I hear you're almost that person behind whoever is doing mm. the work to know that yeah. hey they still have a family and they still have a life yeah. <laughs> outside of work. Yeah. Um Absolutely. that's true. Yeah. Hey, we can we can be so focused on helping the client that, you know, we lose track of our own teammates. Mm. Tell mm. me how you plan to cater for that in a remote type of office or where people are not sitting in the same office? Like what are the ways we can do as financial planners to look out for that or maybe combat that?
1: I think structure is key uh, and processes. So what I've done is I've put a couple of workflow processes in place uh, and we have a frequent meeting um, every Monday wednesday and and friday where we discuss what is happening what has happened um not to lose track in terms of what's going on um because if you if you're in a in a practice um there's a lot of information circling one client might phone they want to do something and it's just a lot of information so to sit down with a team Everyone, everyone, in one sitting and say, "Look, let's let's uh, let's have a teams meeting and discuss what's going on." Um, I think that that is key, and then certainly the processes. If you don't have processes and structures in place, um, I, I think a lot of um, a, a lot of the information or, or um, it can be lost in the whole process.
0: Absolutely so kubis looking at you know starting out this practice and getting your own fsp license if you had a magic wand and you can like change anything about that process what what would that be <laughs>
1: oh yeah it, it it was challenging in the beginning to start off getting everything in order i think compliance uh, was a big bigger challenge than i expected that uh, that caught me a bit off guard um so I think if I if I would would do it again, I'd like to have someone sit down with me and explain that whole process from the beginning before I, I uh, approach it. Um, I mean when you're starting a practice, I can't say that it didn't go very smooth. Yeah, it. I, I think in terms of uh, the transferring the whole clients. Uh, uh, that's that's a big that was a big challenge for me. Um, I, I would, I, I would have liked more time to do that, but I guess that's that's life. Uh, that's the situation I had to deal with. It.
0: Yeah, well done. I think it it turned out very well, and it's worthwhile sometimes reflecting because. We often hear people saying, oh, the FSCA took so long to issue my license or yeah. I didn't have these things in place, but it, it sounded like you you had your ducks in a row.
1: Yeah, I think it was, uh, I mean, uh, it, it, it wasn't something completely new. So the processes that, I, that I've that i developed, uh, the structures in place, it all just went went over to the new uh, FSP. So it, it wasn't something completely new, Um uh, it was basically just in the sense of you know it, it is something clients are, are certainly um, they don't like change. So if you tell a client look we're changing over to a new FSB why are you doing this why uh, what about this what about that So there was there can be a lot of hiccups um, with with clients because they just don't like change. So I mean, but it's it 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 is what it is. It's that I don't think I could have done it differently. Um, I, I would have just liked a little bit more time. But yeah.
0: You mentioned something interesting there around change, where clients don't like change, but at the same time, they often come to us saying, "Oh, shouldn't we be changing medical aids? Or shouldn't <laughs> we be changing plans?" <laughs> like, how do we balance those things and saying, "Okay, this is." This is where we need to change, and this is where you don't need to ever change. Um, how do you portray that to clients?
1: It's a difficult question, Louis. I think, I mean, if you if if you have the right plan and structures in place, you can tell a client, "Look, this is this is your plan." Um, I think if you can, if you're able to show a client what the implications are of the change, and allow them then to make the decision and, and and see what the consequences would be uh, that's i think that's the key um that would be the answer for me
0: very much kind of a coaching or guiding process to say oh yeah okay, well this is the impact
1: absolutely you're not gonna you're not gonna stop them from from asking or requesting something to be changed you can only show you, show them the consequences of their decisions
0: mm-hmm. that's so true Kubis, what are the skills financial planners need to invest in today? I mean, that can be me, that can be you, or anyone listening to this. What do you think are the critical skills we need to be investing time, money, and energy in?
1: Um, I think um, I can't really. Say, well, I can say time. I, I, um, uh, you have to learn, and I think it's a learnable skill that you've got to have more empathy when you sit down with clients. Um, and you have to listen. Listen is key. Um, I think when I sit down with a client, I rarely talk. I ask a question and I listen. And from that comes another question. So um, I think if you're starting out in in this industry, um, if you can only ask a question and sit back and listen, listen is the key for me. Um, And then, yeah, and then obviously... the basics. I mean, if you if you are um, if you are adaptable, if you are able to to look at change, I mean, I I would say that's also something that uh, uh, that could be key. Look at different processes. Look at different strategies that can be more effective, uh, more better systems. Um, I think uh, in terms of um, something new, advisors, uh, which is key i think they can also like i like we've t- talked about earlier i mean don't throw away um social media content be someone that can influence um your peer group um they can certainly learn a lot, lot, lot more about social media and marketing uh, which is i think in the end, there's abundance of um wonderful material for free <laughs> so
0: that's true hey, it doesn't even have to cost much, no Kubis, <laughs> what would you say to the Kubis that started out with the car sales uh of of how this journey planned out? Is this what you expected
1: oh, yeah, no Louis, I think that will cost me a bit of God <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's okay um it's something to to ponder over yeah. um and just reflecting of this journey, I think it's one of the Professions where we get to make the biggest impact in someone's life, and like mm-hmm. you just said, just sitting down with someone, listening to their story, it is a very rare skill. It's something that people don't come across. They're used to yeah. being told what to do by yeah. the experts. I, I
1: think, Louis, if uh, if I can answer your previous question, I think when I started out in the in this um, uh, this profession. I I was very proud of what I was doing when I just started out. Um, And while I was, you referred to as a, as a broker previously, um, and look, I was very proud of it. Um, And then there was a, then I learned about the stigmas um, of brokers. They just salesmen and, um, and it's not someone really adding value. And that, that was something that, um, that really hurt me. Um, because I was so proud of it. It was something I thought was very important. Um, what was sad is I had to first go through um, the whole process of post financial planning Um to really understand, look, I'm I am really adding value. It's it is a profession, and it's not just a you're not just a salesman here, because uh, that was something I I never wanted to be. That's that's what I I struggled with when I um, when I first started out in in car sales. I mean, I remember one guy walking in. Um, he literally walked in with a bag of cash, literally, and he wanted to buy this car. But I knew it was messed up, so I told him, "Look, no, this is not a right car for you. This thing is, this thing is not, this thing is messed up." And he literally walked over across the road. Um, there was another dealership. He bought a car there. <laughs> Jeez, and my, um, and my boss that, that stage, yeah, he was mad. Um, but I just couldn't sell him that car, knowing. It's gonna bring him trouble. I I didn't want to sell anything. I wanted to solve a problem, and that was something only that only came that I only realized later on that it is that it is actually the most one of the most important professions. You're working with people's finances. You're working with someone's retirement. Um, It is such a key role. Um, You have to, and that's I think if I if I could have started off and say, look, just go back to basics. What is the basics, basic fundamentals people have to have? Don't, you don't necessarily have to make a fee out of everything. Tell the client, look, you have to have an emergency fund and a budget. If you don't have this, I can't give you, I can't. we can't look at life cover, we can't look at this. Because at the end of the day, if they don't have a budget, if they don't have an emergency fund, those policies will lapse. They won't be able to afford afford it if you didn't look at the basics so i would say to sum it up i would want i would say look it is it is one of the most important professions out there um it is you're solving problems you're not selling anything and really really look at the basics for clients put the basic fundamentals in place and your business will be very very strong
0: wow Thank you so much for that. I can see how excited and energized you get when talking about these things. And it's wonderful that you get to live out your your passion. Mm. It is so true, you know, for anyone starting out in this industry, almost always there's this period where you doubt yourself. You start saying, am I really adding value? Is this, is this what I'm supposed to do with my life? And it's wonderful to see your passion. And, you know, this show is all about the positive evolution of financial advice and this is exactly it you know it's moving one step ahead mm. thing here's a little bit more information tell me about that time when you went about getting your postgraduate diploma what did that change in the way you you delivered advice
1: oh yeah i think that was i mean when i before I uh, applied for the postgrad I, I I mean you do your research you, you talk to a lot of people you say look is this is this something that will add value because I don't want to spend a lot of time doing something that you already know and it just taught me that there's so much more there's so much more depth in our profession um, in the service we can deliver to clients um, it re- really taught me about really looking at a client's, um, uh, At a client holistically in the first place, and then digging into the structures. And I mean, that's what I loved. I mean, I love to uh, um, to solve a problem. I loved the idea of minimizing unnecessary taxes by just making a couple of basic changes. And then there are also the the um, the, the creative creative part where you can say, look. What about this? I mean, you can actually structure your will like this, and then we can save uh, save on this and that. And this is the succession is so much um, uh, so much greater for your for your loved ones. So that's that's something I think that that changes a lot in terms of how I looked at um, at a client's um, portfolio. I mean, you you when you when you start out, you do your RFP one, two, and three, and it's the basics. But, I mean, with that, you really dig into the, the deep end of, of estate planning. And I do love, love, love estate planning. And that um, also f- um, ties in well with the business business owners because a business owner will certainly have a large estate and they will certainly need ways to minimize unnecessary taxes and look at the succession. So it's I, I wouldn't be the same if I didn't do it.
0: Well done for continuously investing and building this. Um, I love the word you use: unnecessary taxes. You know, you can pay taxes, <laughs> but sometimes it's just yeah. unnecessary. <laughs> Kubis, what's your vision for the next 10 to 20 years for North Financial Services?
1: That's an awesome question, uh, Louis. So I'm, I'm very passionate about my business. Um, it's something that I've really dreamt about my whole, whole life. Um, so... At the end of the day, my uh, I'll work it from from the perfect ideal plan, and then I'll work it back. So ideally, I, I'd like to be uh, look. I don't want to reinvent the wheel uh, in anything, but I I think I'll I'll see what was successful with other practices, and I want to I want to use that and and add on to onto that. So with my business, I would like um, I would like to have a national footprint. Um, I would like to have and I would like to have to see a North Financial Services in every small town, in every major city, and I I really I really want to build one of those household brands. Now I think that's that is I know that is a very ambitious dream, but that is something I, I really um, uh, aspire to. So in, in in terms of the shorter how I will get there, so in the next three years, um, I'd like to add. Uh, another leg to the business. So I'd like to look at the ca- accounting side and, and bring in on board an, an accountant. Um, so specifically with the, my client base, um, I sit down with a client and um, they, they, they normally struggle with taxes. So that ties in well with structures. Uh, we can look holistically, uh, really holistically, in terms of the client structure, does that tie in well with his income tax? Does that tie in well with the taxes payable at death? Because, you know, I mean, as, an, as a financial planner, we we do tend to look at taxes at death, um, not not so much income tax um, necessarily. So I'd like to bring on board that. Um, and then every, I brought on, on board a paraplanner now. So ideally I'd like this paraplanner to, in the next two years, be able to set up their own North Financial Services practice in their area, and then every two years bring on board another paraplanner. So by introducing a paraplanner, I'll be able to introduce them to my process. Um, I'll be able to show them how how I do business, um, how I like everything to be done, how I like my clients to be treated, Um, and then I want them to be able to do the same. So by doing that, I'll be able to have someone assisting me within the practice by the power planning side. And if they, they've learned enough, I'd like them to spread their wings and be able to build their, own bra- build their own practice under the north umbrella.
0: Brilliant. It's wonderful to see how much you've thought about this. You know, I did not expect such an elaborate answer. Um, <laughs> Grubis? This has been great to have you here on the show today. Uh, for people that might want to reach out to you or apply for that paraplanner job in the future, what's the best way <laughs> to get a hold of you?
1: Um, Louis, they can reach me on my email address. Uh, it's grubus at northgroup.co.za or on my website, it's northgroup.co.za or they can even give me a WhatsApp uh, on my number 82
0: Thank you so much, Kubis. And I would urge everyone to like and subscribe to A Slice of Finance. Um, Thank you so much for being here today. Bye-bye. Thank you
1: so much for having me, Louis.